Good morning. Thanks for being here this morning. My name is DJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Uh, And so welcome and turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 20 this morning. Just a couple housekeeping things before we get started. Number one, I usually don't sound quite like this, so I'm on the tail end of some sinus mess. So that to say, if my voice does any bizarre things this morning, it sounds like I'm re-entering puberty, don't be alarmed uh, and just pray that the Lord will carry me through to the end of it. I'll try to make it as painless as possible. Uh, We are working through the book of Matthew here at Trinity. We love the Bible. We believe that the Bible is how God speaks to us. It's how we know him. It's how we know who he is, who we are, and how we should relate and respond to him. And so in our teaching, in our preaching, we preach through the Bible. We do a type of teaching called expository teaching where we open up books of the Bible and we just walk through them sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. We want to understand what it said in its original context and then apply it to our lives today. So right now that has us going through the book of Matthew, the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in chapters 5 through 7, we've been walking through his most famous sermon, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're getting towards the end of that sermon, is where we find ourselves this morning in 7, 15 through 20. If you didn't get a listening guide on your way in, it's a little piece of paper, it has the text in it, some space for notes, allow you to follow along easier. Uh, Alex can give you one of those if you just slip your hand up and he will come down from the back and make sure you receive a listening guide. So this morning, as we continue through Matthew chapter 7, we'll be talking about false prophets. Now that's a concept that we're all probably at least somewhat familiar with, right? False prophets, false teachers. We understand that there are fakes out there, that not everyone with a religious or even an apparently Christian message necessarily has your best interest at heart. We can see some very upfront issues of this. You know, you turn on your TV at like two in the morning on certain channels and you might see a guy asking you to send him some money so that, you know, you can be blessed. And, you know, maybe this guy has been to prison like three times already for defrauding people of their money, but somehow he still ends up having time to come out and preach his message. Like we see those and we think, oh gosh, that guy's a fake, a fraud, a charlatan. It's obvious. And I think a lot of times we make the mistake of expecting false teachers and false prophets to be like that obvious, obvious examples we can look at and say, okay, that guy is out there. We should just ignore him and move on. I think if I, if I can use a little bit of an illustration to set this in our minds, I think we expect false teachers to be kind of like Disney villains, right? When you were a kid, think of the Disney movies that you watched growing up, all the great classics. As soon as the villain appeared on screen for the first time, you kind of knew they were the bad guy. It's pretty obvious just by looking at them. Uh, let's, let's walk through a few examples. I got some pictures with me this morning. So let's, let's move through the first example. Scar from The Lion King. Like we just introduced our kids to The Lion King this past week. And you know, Scar is the brother of Mufasa the king. There's not really a lot of family resemblance. We never meet their parents in the movie, but one of them had the evil gene apparently. And you look at this guy and you think, yeah, he's, he's not going to be a, a good friendly uncle as we go through the movie. Let's look at the next one. Aladdin, Jafar, he looks like a kind, benevolent ruler, right? The kind of guy that you would want to live and serve under. Not, not, not quite so much. Let's move on to the next one. Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Now, she looks like a lady that you would hire as a nanny, right? If you, you know, she's the one that answers your ad, and you're like, yeah, I'll leave my kids with you. That could turn out not bad at all. Next one from the movie Mulan, Sean Yu. The guy has fangs. 
Who has fangs? I'm going to go ahead and give you a great rule for life. If you meet somebody and they have fangs, you should instantly be suspicious of this person. It will be a good idea to not trust them. So we've got all these, these villains and we look at them and we think, man, this guy is obviously evil. He's obviously bad. And we expect our false teachers to be like that, where we can just pick them out, move on. But what Jesus is going to tell us this morning is that they're not really like that. In fact, they're more like a modern-day Disney villain, this guy, Prince Hans from Frozen. Now, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Frozen, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that if you haven't seen it by now, you don't want to. But he looks like a nice, upstanding guy, right? I mean, he's nice, he's cheerful, he's friendly, he even finishes your sandwiches, uh, and you look at him and you think, this is the kind of guy that, that I want to be with, that, that I would trust with my kingdom and all of these things. But he ends up to actually be the bad guy in the movie. He's not trustworthy. In fact, he, he's trying to, to kind of weasel his way in so he can take power. And if anybody gets hurt in the process, oh well. What I wanted to get across to you this morning, false prophets are really a lot more like Prince Hans than they are Scar or Jafar or Ursula, or Sean Yu. They appear nice out of the gate. We expect them to, to be obvious and sinister, but really they can be quite charming. They can look like us. They can talk like us. They can blend right into the Christian circles. They sucker us in, and then we find ourselves gobbling down a message that upon further review doesn't actually look like the things that Jesus is telling us. And it leaves us believing things, and as a result, doing things that drive us away from the Lord and not to him. And so Jesus is going to tell us this morning, beware false prophets, right? Be on the lookout for these guys. But he's also going to tell us what to look for. He's going to tell us they're not obvious. They don't come at you with a nice villain face on, but there is a way that you can spot them. And he's going to give us that way and tell us what we need to look for and then once we understand that, how do we respond to these false teachers? So let's dig into the text together. We're going to read verses 15 through 20 of Matthew chapter 7, and then we'll talk through it. So join me in verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. That's God's word for us this morning. Pray with me as we study it further together. Our God and good Father, we come to you this morning in need of your grace as we open your word. And we ask that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, you would give us. And Father, what we are not, you would make us. By the power of your spirit, to the praise of your glorious grace. These things we ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, so let's walk through these verses. And our passage starts off simply enough with a word of warning, with an imperative, something for us to do, and that is beware. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly 
are ravenous wolves. So we're told to beware false prophets. So we have to ask the question right out of the gate, what's a false prophet? What is this individual that we're supposed to be on the lookout for? Now today, when we hear the word prophet or prophecy, we tend to associate that most directly with telling the future, right? If you're watching a movie and in the movie there's this prophecy that's going to be fulfilled, we understand that's usually something that's been told long ago that now is going to come to pass. Well, to the people Jesus is speaking to here, they would have had a more full concept of prophet and prophecy than that. In the context of the Bible, in the context of God's people, prophet, a prophet was one who spoke for God. He was one who spoke in God's place. And that would sometimes involve a word about the future, where a prophet would say, this is what is going to come to pass. But other times, prophets would speak into the current situation of their audience. They would bring God's perspective to bear on the everyday lives of God's people and say, thus saith the Lord. Here is what God has to say to you in your current situation. So that was the job of a prophet. A prophet was to speak for God, sometimes warning about the future, sometimes delivering promises about the future, sometimes speaking God's truth, God's perspective into the current situation. And with that being the case, false prophets, like Jesus is warning about here, were a pretty constant problem throughout the Old Testament. This is not something new that Jesus is saying to watch out for, but it's been a reality. As long as there have been people appointed to speak for God, there have been a pe people who are not appointed but pretend to speak for God in order to achieve something for themselves, whether it's money or fame or recognition or influence. We look through the Old Testament and we see examples of God warning his people about false prophets and how to deal with them when we're talking about future prediction and when we're talking about present circumstances. Deuteronomy 18, verse 22, the Lord says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Right? So a prophet comes, he predicts something about the future, says this is what the Lord has said is going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. God says, that's a pretty good sign that I didn't say that, that that prophet made it up. It makes me think in our modern world, every 10 years or so, there's usually some guy who apparently figures out the day Jesus is coming back, right? And he writes a book and he sells a lot of books and he gets a lot of airtime on the news until the day comes that he's predicted Jesus is coming back. And guess what? Jesus doesn't come back. Like clockwork, every single time. And so when we see that, we can think, well, apparently God didn't tell this guy when Jesus is coming back because Jesus didn't get the memo and he didn't show up. So when somebody predicts something about the future, it doesn't come to pass, we can understand that's not a word they got from the Lord. But what about when they're speaking the truth into present circumstances? Well, Todd read a passage in Ezekiel for us earlier that, that spoke to that of prophets who were, who were saying, this is what God says to you, but God's saying, that's, that's really not what I have to say at all. We see another example of that in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6, verses 13 through 14. The Lord says, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So Jeremiah is speaking into a dark time in the history of Israel, where God is judging his people for their sin, for their faith, faithlessness, and he's going to send them into exile in a foreign land. And 
right, the Lord says through Jeremiah that the prophets and the priests, they're dealing falsely. They're greedy for gain. They're wanting influence for themselves. And so they tell the people what the people want to hear. Peace, peace, the Lord is, is not disappointed with you at all. It's fine. It's going to be fine. He loves you. But God says, there is no peace. I, I love my people, but I am coming in judgment for their sin to turn them away from their sin. And he says, when you as prophets say peace, peace, and there is no peace, you are defaming my name. You are speaking presumptuously a word that I have not said. Do not follow these prophets. Do not listen to them. So this is a pattern that's been a reality for many years. A false prophet is one who speaks for the Lord, says he speaks for the Lord, but actually says something in contradiction to what God would have him to speak. And Jesus knows this is going to continue on into the New Testament, right? Many of the New Testament letters, including Colossians, which we studied last year, these letters were written at least in part to combat false teaching, false prophets that had come into the church and were steering people away from the message of Jesus, steering people away from his truth. And so Jesus says, beware, beware false prophets. The Greek word carries the connotation of pay attention, right? Stay sharp, watch out, be on your guard, beware, because these people are out there, right? They're not the boogeyman hiding in the closet that, you know, you believed in when you were a kid, but you grew out of that. These guys are real. They are a very present danger for the church. So beware, look out. But there's a problem. The problem is that they're not going to look like you think. They're tough to spot. Right? False teachers are tough to spot. You won't see false prophets coming. That's the big thrust of this first verse. These guys are a danger. You need to be on the lookout from them, but they're not going to be obvious. Right? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So Jesus says that they will come in sheep's clothing. They appear to be docile, friendly, just another sheep in the flock. But inside, they're not sheep. They're ravenous wolves. What does he mean by this? Well, he means that by and large, on the surface, these false prophets that we're being warned against are going to look like the rest of Jesus' followers. They're going to blend right in, right? The whole point of sheep's clothing is that someone who is wearing sheep's clothing is going to look on the surface like a sheep. You can't tell what's underneath at first glance. They're going to blend right in. They're not going to be the mustache-twirling Disney villains that we come to look for and expect. They're going to be much more like Prince Hans. They're going to charm us. They're going to come right up, get close, and then, only then, will we see them for who they really are. Now, Jesus is about to clue us in on how they will be different, how we can spot these false teachers. But for now, he's saying simply, Beware, be on the lookout, and know that they're going to be difficult to spot on a surface level. They're going to blend in. They're going to look like everybody else. So let's consider something that, some things that false teachers, false prophets, might well have in common with regular Christians, with the rest of us. False prophets are going to identify as Christian, right? They're not going to come up to you and say, hi, my name is DJ, and I'm a false prophet here to give you a false message that's going to lead you away from Jesus. No, they're going to say, I'm a Christian. Hey, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm on the same team. They're going to want to convince you of this, and they're going to speak the language 
on the, on the service. They're going to follow Christian religious practices, right? They're going to be able to blend right into the church, speak the church jargon, do the churchy things. You're not going to be able to spot them on a surface level like that. They're going to probably gather a following, right? So one of the dangers and traps for us is we think that, well, that guy, you know, he's preaching, he's preaching Jesus, apparently, and he's really popular. A lot of people are listening to him, so he, he must be all right, right? Popularity is not a sure mark. It's not one of the things that Jesus is going to tell us to use to spot them. And it's quite possible. This is one I think is, our, is one of our big uh, dangers today. It's quite possible for a false teacher to be nice, right? So as Christians, we come together, and if somebody is just an absolute stick in the mud and a jerk, that's going to stand out really quick right off the bat, right? So false teachers, they might be rather nice from a worldly perspective. They might smile and be kindly and blend right in on the surface. We're going to have to look deeper than that if we want to be able to recognize these kind of teachers for who they are. As you read verse 15, the, the big thrust and takeaway point of verse 15 is don't rely on surface level appearances in evaluating whether someone is a trustworthy Christian teacher or not. You have to go deeper than that. And it's going to take effort. It's going to take careful attention in order for us to avoid being fooled. If it wasn't possible for genuine Christians to be fooled by false teachers, Jesus wouldn't be warning us against it here, right? When he says beware, he says beware because it's a possibility that we could be fooled by these guys and end up in a bad spot. So watch out for false teachers. They won't look, excuse me, like you expect. They won't be obvious to spot. However, Jesus makes the point in the rest of our text in verses 16 through 20 that we will be able to spot them. So we're on the lookout. We're not trusting in surface appearances. We don't want to be duped by false teachers. We're all on the same page. We know what we need to be doing. So how are we supposed to identify them, right? How do we tell if that's a sheep or if that's a wolf wearing sheep's clothing? What are we supposed to look for? And Jesus gives us a very simple criteria that he reinforces throughout these few verses. And that is this. We can spot them by what they do. We can spot them by what they do. And to make this point, Jesus is going to use the illustration of trees and fruit. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So what's all this talk about fruit? I mean, we're going to have some fruit at the cookout, but we're we talking about food here. What's the point? Why is Jesus bringing up trees and fruit? Well, Fruit is used commonly throughout the New Testament, this imagery of a tree and its fruit, to, to talk about the good works, the good changes, the good things that should flow out of a Christian's life when they've trusted in Jesus. When we put our faith in him, good works of obedience naturally flow from that transformed heart. And the Bible talks about that as fruit. Just like if you go to an apple tree, it's going to produce apples. That's what an apple tree does. That's normal. That's natural. In the same way, if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, good works are naturally going to follow out of your life as the Lord changes and transforms your heart. Some passages in the New Testament that illustrate this. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verses 21 through 22. It says, But what fruit were you getting at that time? 
This is before your faith in Christ. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Paul's saying here, back before you followed Christ, you got fruit in your life. Something was produced by the deeds that you're ashamed of now. And it wasn't good. But now that you're following Christ, the the fruit that comes out of that is good and it changes your heart. It sanctifies you. It leads to eternal life. Following that text immediately is the, the famous verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the fruit of our faith is good that continues to work and grow out of our lives. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, praying that you'll know God more, right? That you'll know who he is. You'll know what he's like. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says to these Colossian believers, I pray that you will know the Lord more, that you'll grow in your wisdom and in your spiritual insight. Why? So that that you'll be really smart and really spiritual and get a PhD and go on a teaching circuit? No. So that you will be able to walk, to live in a way worthy of the Lord. So that you'll be obedient to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, right? It becomes a self-fulfilling cycle. May you have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can do good works, so that you can grow in wisdom and understanding. This is how God grows us day by day in Christ, bearing fruit. And then maybe the most famous passage talking about this in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit... So what is the fruit that should come out of a Christian's life? A life filled with God's Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So Jesus, when he starts talking about trees and fruit, he's saying that if someone is a bad tree, if they're a false prophet, if they're not really connected to God, if they're a bad tree, then their fruit will be bad. If they're a good tree, then their fruit will be good. So if we want to spot a false teacher, we should look at the fruit that their life produces. We should look at what is coming of their life. And he he starts this assessment with a rhetorical question, right? In verse uh, 16, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from from thistles? So let's say this, this afternoon that you want to get some grapes, And you don't just want to walk down to Walmart and grab some grapes because that'd be too easy and it's really hot outside and you want to sweat a little bit. So you decide, I'm going to go find and pick some grapes. Where are you going to go? You're going to find the local briar patch and go hunting for grapes there? No, I hope not. If if you are, then you're not going to be farming anything at any time soon. I'm not letting you take care of my garden. We know this, right? You don't go looking for grapes in thorn bushes. You don't go looking for figs in thistles. You don't go looking for apples by digging them up out of the ground. Where would you look for an apple? You should probably find an apple tree. That's the place to look. Jesus is using this example 
because he's speaking to a people who, this is an agricultural society. They're farmers, they're gatherers. They know about the produce of the land. And so they instantly would understand, well, of course, yeah, why would you go looking for grapes in thorn bushes? Like even us today, none of us are farmers in here, but we get this. We understand this. It's a very simple concept. Jesus is saying, so just like a good tree bears good fruit, a grapevine bears grapes, and a bad tree bears bad fruit, a thorn bush bears thorns, just like that, a true follower of Jesus will bear good spiritual fruit in their lives. And someone who was a wolf in sheep's clothing, who was a bad tree, who was a false follower of Jesus, will bear bad fruit because they're not connected to the true vine. Makes me think of John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. As long as you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying here with regard to false teachers, look for the fruit. Look for what is coming out of their life. So how do you know if someone is a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, you look at their life. Specifically, you look at their life and you ask yourself, is this person doing the will of God? Is this person doing the will of God? Why do I say that? Because that's what Jesus is going to say in verse 21, which we're not going to get into this week. We're going to talk more about it next week, but these passages are connected, right? Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who will? The one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Doing the will of God and bearing good fruit, that's the same thing, right? Two different ways of expressing the same truth, the same reality. And so when we look and we want to spot a false teacher, we're asking ourselves, is this person doing the will of God? Which then leads us to the next question. What is the will of God? Right? What are the things we're supposed to be looking for? The will of God, doing the will of God, is obedience to the things that God has clearly told us in his word. Right? As we went through the Heidelberg Catechism today, we read through the Ten Commandments. It is God's will for you to obey the Ten Commandments. Period. Like a lot of times in our culture, when we talk about, I want to know what God's will is, we're thinking more about those like side decisions that are not clearly moral in nature. Like, should I take this job or that job? Should I move to this city or that city? When the Bible talks about doing God's will, the Bible uses language like the Ten Commandments. It is God's will for you to do this. And so I can stand here today and say with 100% certainty, it is God's will that you don't commit murder, that you don't commit adultery, that you don't bear false witness about your neighbor, because that's what God has said his will is. So doing the will of God is obedience to the things that God has clearly told us through his word, avoiding the things we shouldn't do, like the Ten Commandments talk about, but also telling us what we should do, what we should go after, what we should value. So what does that mean? That means that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it's the will of God for you to have those things. That's what is followed up there in Galatians, that if these qualities are yours and are increasing, Right? If you have these fruits and they're growing in your life, because Christianity isn't just, I become a Christian and bam, God makes me perfect. No, it's a slow road begins. So if you have those fruits and they're increasing, then that will keep you from being ineffective. You'll bear good fruit. So it is God's will that you are loving, that you are joyful, that you have peace, you're patient, you're kind, you're good to others, you're faithful in good seasons and bad, you're gentle with others. You exercise self-control. Those things are God's will for you. 
So if you see someone who is claiming to be a Christian teacher who does not have those things, then that should lead you to say, wait a minute, I'm not seeing the good fruit that I should see in this person's life. That calls into question whether they're actually a Christian teacher or not. Or they might be a false prophet like Jesus is pointing out here. If someone is teaching spiritual things but has a life that is devoid of godly character, then you should have no reason to listen to them. You should not follow them. No matter how Christian their language, their verbiage, their message might sound, no matter how Christian they might appear on a surface level, Jesus is saying if they don't have a character that matches that, you have no reason to believe they are Christian. Beware. Run away. Get out of town. Don't listen to those people. So if we see a teacher's life that doesn't match what God has said a teacher's life should look like, that's how we spot false teacher, false prophet. Those are the things that we look out for. But it's not only those things, right? If obedience to God's will is being obedient to the things he's clearly told us, then that also means that if someone teaches things that are in opposition to what God has clearly said in his word, then that's also bearing bad fruit, right? If the word says Jesus is raised from the dead, let's use a really basic example. Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is alive forevermore. And I get up this morning and I say, Jesus isn't actually alive. The resurrection's not true. Well, then I'm outing myself as a false teacher, right? Because the Bible pretty clearly says that Jesus rose from the dead. It's kind of a big deal, very central. Like, you can't say, well, you know, it's not really that clear from the Bible whether he rose from the dead or not. It's kind of this little side issue. No, no, it's, it's very clear, right? You don't have to have a PhD to figure that out. And so if I stand here and I say, he didn't rise from the dead, but God has said, yes, he did, then I'm outing myself as a false prophet. I'm not being obedient to the will of God. I'm not doing his will because I'm actually speaking in contradiction to what his will is. He says, hey, I raised Jesus from the dead. And I say, no, you didn't. That's not doing the will of God either. So a trap we've got to look for, I think when we talk about bad fruit, we understand the whole life has to match the teaching, right? That if someone is, is saying, I'm a Christian teacher, but they're doing these bad deeds or they're not producing love, joy, peace, those things, we can say their life is not bearing good fruit. But it's also true that if someone contradicts or calls into question what God has clearly said in his word, that is also bearing bad fruit. That is also rebellion against the will of God. Let's use a real easy hot button issue today to illustrate how this can happen. God, in his word, condemns homosexual practice as sinful. Right? It's, it's clear, it's not ambiguous. If we open the text, we see it in the Old Testament law. We see it reaffirmed in the New Testament. This is not something that God blesses. The church has been in unanimous agreement on this for 2,000 years. It's not been controversial. It's not been questioned. But now that we live in a culture that affirms homosexual practice as perfectly normal and good and acceptable and, and praiseworthy, suddenly many professing Christians are coming out and saying, you know what, God's actually okay with it. It's okay to be a practicing homosexual and be Christian. God, God doesn't have a problem with it at all. Or at the very least, they might say, you know, the Bible is actually not real clear. 
Like it said that to those people, but our culture is so different, you really can't apply that to us today and they're not the same thing. So we don't know what God thinks about it. So we should just err on the side of love and acceptance instead. Right? So many Christian teachers are either contradicting what God has clearly said in his word, or at the very least, they're calling into, into question, which takes us what, all the way back to the original false prophet, right? The OG false prophet, Satan himself, the serpent in the garden. Because what does he say when Eve is sitting there and he's trying to get her to take the fruit? And, what, and Eve is like, you know, God has said that, that if we, we eat this fruit, then we'll surely die. And what's Satan's line? Did God really say, are you sure about that? And false prophets, false teachers, our own sinful hearts, we have replicated that line over and over and over again. Throughout history, it's what we do. All sin at its root is a failure to believe what God has said. And so understand, if you see someone who is a Christian teacher who says, God says X, Y, Z, and you look at the Bible and the Bible very, very clearly says not X, Y, Z, that's a false teacher. They are being rebellious against the will of God just as certainly as if they were devoid of joy or kindness or gentleness or self-control. Obedience to the will of God, following the will of God requires that we do what he says and that we teach others to do what he says and don't hide it or don't muddy the waters of his clear commands. If someone is teaching something that's clearly in opposition to what God's revealed, they are not doing the will of the Father. They're revealing themselves as a false prophet. If someone is saying, peace, peace, it's okay, God's fine, but there is no peace, they're a false prophet today, just like they were in the day of Jeremiah. Verse 18 sums it all up for us. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Look at the root. Look at the fruit to get to the root, right? Look at what's coming out of somebody's life to understand who they really are at their core. And it's the same principle that applies not just to, to prophets and preachers and teachers and leaders, but it's how we're all told to examine the truth of our own profession of faith, right? The book of 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So did you notice that there? If we say we have fellowship with God, we say, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus. While we walk in darkness, while we live a life that's marked by sin and rebellion against God, John says, we're lying. Same principle at play here, right? You will know us by our fruit. Doesn't matter what I say with my mouth. I can talk about being a Christian all day long. If I'm living a life that's in open rebellion to what God has said, you shouldn't believe me. That goes for me as a church member who's professing faith, and that goes for me as a teacher or a preacher or a prophet. You will know them by their fruit. 
Now, this passage also sheds light on an important reality that we need to remember here. This whole good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit thing that Jesus is setting up here is not an all or nothing proposition, right? Because what does John say? He says, if we, if we say that we have fellowship with Jesus, but we walk in the darkness, then we're liars and the truth is not in us. But it also says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no bad fruit at all, well, you're lying because you're not perfect. So it reminds us that if we see someone, if we see a teacher, a, a, a leader who sins, the presence of some sin in their life does not automatically mean that they're a bad tree. Just as surely as when you look at your life, the fact that you have sinned at some point this morning or yesterday or whenever doesn't automatically mean you're not in Christ because we are works in progress. God is molding and shaping us to look more like him. But what happens then when we see bad fruit in the life of a Christian leader or teacher? What are we supposed to think? Do we think, well, they're obviously a bad tree? Or do we think, well, they're just struggling with sin and, and working to overcome it? How do you tell the difference? It can be hard, right? Because a lot of times we don't live in the extreme examples of, you know, the, this exemplary leader who never does anything or says anything wrong, or this guy who's just obviously like one of the Disney villains and evil from the start. Most of us live somewhere in between. So how do we parse it out in those difficult situations? Well, when you see sin, in the life of a preacher or a teacher, or let's just break it down on the, on the basic level, in the life of another professing believer. When you see sin, that doesn't automatically mean that their profession is false. You have to ask yourself, how do they respond to their sin? What do they do when it's brought to light? Do they respond like Christians should? And so the question is, how should Christians respond to sin in their lives? We repent, right? We acknowledge it. We turn from it, we ask God to forgive us for it and give us grace to grow and to change our desires in a direction towards him rather than towards these things that ensnare us. The bad trees that Jesus is warning us against, these trees that verse 19 says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. They're, thr they're cut down, they're thrown into the fire because they do not bear good fruit. These are trees, these are people who are marked by bad fruit, by sin, and a refusal to turn from it. And a refusal to, to repent, to go the other direction. So if you see a pastor or a Christian leader who has sin in their life, or you see a brother or sister in Christ who has sin in their life, and you bring it up, you confront them with it, and they repent and they turn to Christ, that's a sign that they're probably bearing good fruit. That itself, the repentance, is good fruit, Right? But if they minimize it, if they say, eh, it's, it's okay, it's not a big deal, if they persist in it, then that's bad fruit, right? We're looking at the sum total of somebody's life. What trajectory are they on? Do they have these fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc.? Do they have them and are they increasing? That's a sign of a good and healthy tree. If they don't, then that's a sign of a bad and diseased tree. And Jesus says every tree that doesn't bear good fruit, that does not have those fruits of the Spirit, is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Doesn't matter how many sermons they preach, doesn't matter how many books they sell, doesn't matter how many blog subscribers or Twitter followers they have, doesn't matter. You will know them 
You will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. If you see a pastor or a Christian leader who is teaching something that is contrary to what the Bible clearly says, run, get out of Dodge. If you see a pastor or a Christian leader who doesn't talk about things that are a very big deal to God, like let's say sin, I just don't want to talk about sin. That's, you know, I want to be positive. Well, God talks a lot about sin. So if you are seeing a pastor or a Christian leader who refuses to talk about things that God says are a big deal, run, get out of Dodge. It might sound nice on the surface. It will not be good for your soul in the long run because God knows what he's doing. God speaks about these things for a reason because we need to hear the bad news so that our eyes would be open to the good news of Christ. If you see a pastor or Christian leader who lives like he's above the commands of Scripture, like the rules don't apply to him, run. If he's flagrantly living that way, or if he would never say that in so many words, but he refuses to be corrected, he refuses to be humble and hear when people point out sin in his life, Run, get out of Dodge, do not listen to that person. Beware false prophets. If you see a pastor or a Christian leader who is greedy for unjust gain, chasing after money in their private jet, if you see pastors or Christian leaders who are chasing after friendship and popularity with the world, who are more interested in building their own platform than faithfully preaching the Bible, run, beware of false prophets. That's the takeaway line. Verse 15, beware of false prophets. If you listen to them, if you follow after them, they will make you as they are. And that's not the direction Jesus wants you to go. It's not good for your soul. It doesn't produce fruit and life and faith and godliness and eternal life. Follow Christ and beware false prophets. Not everybody who looks like a sheep is actually a sheep. Don't trust your surface evaluation, but look at the fruit of someone's life. Now, like we said earlier, can it be hard to parse that out? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard because we live in a mess of a fallen world. I'm I'm fond of listening to Alistair Begg preach quite a bit, and, and he says multiple times, he's like, if you knew what I was really like, you would never listen to me preach. And if I knew what you were really like, what you were really like, I would never want to preach to you. Like, we're fallen. We're sin-wrecked. We're a mess. But we are being transformed by Jesus Christ. And if he is in your life, if your profession with your mouth is real, then you're going to be changing. You're going to be growing. Some days you're going to be shouting from the rooftops because you feel that change. Some days you're going to feel like you're crawling through the mud and move like two inches from where you were the day before. But if you have these things in you and they are increasing, it will keep you from being ineffectual in the service of Christ. Are you bearing good fruit? And are you looking for good fruit in the people that you listen to and you follow after? I talk about listening to Alistair Begg. It's tough in our world today because when Paul is talking and when Jesus is talking about false teachers in the New Testament, his audience they're seeing these people, right? right? Their pastors and teachers were the pastors and teachers in their local fellowship. If there was a false teacher that they heard, it's because they were in their physical presence and heard their message. Today we live in a world where I can listen to Alistair Begg preach every day on my drive into work, and he's in Cleveland and I'm in Louisville. And I don't, I'm, I don't see him. I mean, I've met him a couple times at his conference, but I don't know Alistair. 
I don't know what his life's like. I don't know what his fruit is like. So how, how do we operate in this kind of world? Well, the people that you're listening to, like, one, are you listening to what they say and does it match up with the word? That's the first place we've got to start, right? Are they teaching things that are in line with what God's word says? And in terms of their character, are they just like a rogue out on their own doing their own thing? Are they accountable to anybody? Or in the case of Alistair, is he the pastor elder of a church who's accountable to other elders in his church, right? You gotta, you gotta use your best judgment to see is the person I'm listening to have a structure around them that would catch it if they were bearing this kind of bad fruit, right? In much the same way that if myself or Pastor Dave or Pastor Todd ever, God forbid, goes rogue and starts preaching and teaching and living in a way that's not in line with what God says, we have a, a group of people around us, that's you, who would call us on it and who would, if necessary, or who would call us to repentance and, if necessary, remove our position of teaching, right? So the people that you're listening to, are they accountable to a local church? You know, if you find somebody that you're like, man, this guy's a really good speaker, like, you know, and, and he's just out doing the one-man show unchecked by everybody, that's not a good sign. So investigate the people that you listen to. It can be difficult to parse this out. It can be difficult in our day and age. It can be difficult because of the fallen world we live in. But notice this from verse 20. It's possible. Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Spotting false teachers is not an impossible task. It might be challenging, but it's not impossible. The wolves do come dressed as sheep, but if you look close enough, you will notice that the sheepskin don't fit quite right. That they are, in fact, a wolf in sheep's clothing. If we pay attention to what people say, whether it lines up with what God has clearly said, and we pay attention to what their life looks like, are they living in obedience to what God has clearly said, then we will be able to see them for what they are, a true sheep or a ravenous wolf. So how do we apply this? How carefully have you looked at and listened to the people who influence you spiritually? Right? How closely do you consider the character of the people who preach to you on a Sunday morning, who you listen to on a radio, whose blog that you read? Again, you can only know so much in some of these removed circumstances, but have you ever, ever even thought about that, about looking for what comes out of their lives? When you go to spot a false teacher, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the things Jesus tells us to be looking for here? Are you expecting it to be like those Disney villains, obvious, easy to spot? Are you actively checking what you hear on Sunday mornings against what the Bible says? This is a huge one, right? Do not take my word for it. Do not take Pastor Dave's word for it. Do not take Pastor Todd's word for it. Right? We are not God. Our job is not to give you our opinions about life, our thoughts on what you should or shouldn't be doing. If you're coming here, frankly, to get the three of our, us our opinion on how you should live your life, you can find a better way to spend your Sunday morning, I promise you. We got nothing apart from what God has said. So are you checking what we say against what God has said? If you just take our word for it, well, hopefully we're going to steer you in the right direction but what if we don't? What if we go off the deep end? What if we screw it up? You're told to be checking the word, right? Be like the Bereans in the book of Acts who diligently searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. They were fact-checking, right? 
They were fact-checking Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and they were like, hold on, let, let's, let's make sure this is good. Okay, you're good. You should have that attitude. Be a fact-checker. And then, are you studying the Bible on your own in the first place so that you'll know what it says and will have something to compare the teaching of others to? If you don't know the Word, you're going to be an easy dupe for a false teacher, right? The old, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you don't know the Word, then the first thing that comes along that sounds good and looks good and is appealing, you're going to go for it. Do you know the Word? That's why it's important to get in to know it. What do you look for in a leader? You look for someone who's compelling and charismatic. You look for someone who's a great speaker who can make you laugh, make you cry, make you feel good. Or are you looking for the kind of fruit that the Bible says should characterize a Christian? Are you looking for character? Are you looking for someone who does the will of God? And then turn the microscope, the telescope, turn it back on yourself, right? What about you? Are you applying the same scrutiny to your own life like we saw in 1 John? If false prophets are recognized by their fruits and Christians, true Christians are recognized by their fruits, what does your life look like? Are you bearing good fruit? Do you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control? Are those things present and increasing in your life? Remember those two words. Are they present and are they increasing? Those are the things that we're told to look for as we evaluate ourselves. What does your life look like? It won't look perfect. If you tell me that you're doing great and perfect and there's no problems, then you're lying. And congratulations, now you're not perfect anymore. If we, have, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. It's not going to look perfect, but is it there? Is the fruit there? And are you growing in grace? Are you characterized by repentance when you do discover sin in your life, when you become aware of it? Do you humbly turn from it, embrace and trust in Christ day by day by day? So evaluate the teaching that you hear. Evaluate your own heart and ask, am I bearing good fruit? Because we will know each other and we will know our teachers by their fruits. We will recognize them by their fruits. And as we're going to see next week, the stakes could not be higher. Eternity hangs in the balance with our ability to evaluate this in our own lives and in the lives of the people that we listen to. So beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves but you will recognize them by their fruits. Pray with me.